G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of Caleb's Conversation Podcast. I know it's been a while, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been in the podcast setup. Uh, I've just been really busy myself, um, just been working and stuff, so I haven't had the opportunity to get back in this room. Um, but today I am here with me here and uh, we're going to be discussing a very interesting topic. Um, obviously we both went to film school together and we both have a passion for filmmaking. And uh, what we're going to be discussing today is movies and television and which one is better because the industry is in a very big flux at the moment um obviously movies used to be the place where every a-list star went and uh, tv was often referred to as like the the b category but nowadays so much more money and and prestige is put into television and uh i'm just interested to hear your thoughts and we're gonna have a conversation about it and break it down so um yeah what are your thoughts on the way the film industry is changing, especially since COVID? Um, well, it's definitely changing. There's no two ways about it. Um, but what I think is more interesting is that the lines between TV and movies are kind of blurring. Um, not just that, like, the money that's put into TV and the money that's put into movies, but also just in terms of distribution. Because mm. you mentioned, like currently in the times of COVID-19 it's like they're all distributed in the same places and for the same price and uh, it's accessible in the same way and it's sort of like what's the point of treating them differently if uh, it's all being in the same place like it used to be an experience I mean it is an experience to watch a movie in a movie theater but now that you can just watch it in the same place that you're watching your TV shows. It's like they're sort of blending into the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Streaming services have completely changed the landscape. Like, I don't think really anyone predicted the popularity of these things because when obviously Netflix came in and, and started its dominance, it really left all these other big Hollywood companies to play catch up in a sense. Like, obviously, you know, Disney has now come out with one. You know, there's a Warner Brothers one, there's Amazon one. Like, there's just so many streaming services now. And I think it's interesting the fact that television, as a result of that, has now become more and more prominent because it, 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 I guess from an acting perspective, it was always seen as, like, movies were, like, the pinnacle. And then television was, like, your next step down and then, like, theatre and all that and, you know, you know, actual musicals and, like, you know, live productions. And... I found it interesting that nowadays, like you were mentioning, how those lines are blurring, how movies and television, there's almost that same sort of prestige around them, Um, especially if you get the right crew and and, and talent involved. You know, you can sometimes get a really, really amazing, you know, six to 12 to sometimes 20 episode show and the storytelling potentials are so much bigger. So, yeah, what what are your thoughts on the way that television has expanded? Um, I think the the best thing about it is the best thing about streaming services is that the model of television has been shifting um like when it was all network television uh at least in a from an american standpoint it was uh 20 to 23 episodes a season Mm -hmm. and it has to be this many episodes and you have to do it season by season and the like there's no way that people can keep this going for longer than one or two seasons until it becomes something that's just a shell of what it used to be but now because you don't have these limitations um netflix do have like 
they prefer 10 episodes or 8 or 13 but it's still like you can make your shows as long as they need to be and you can tell that your storytelling can be as efficient and economic as possible like I don't think that you could have put $500 million into a Lord of the Rings TV show Mm. if it wasn't for the fact that it was going on Amazon and it can be what they want it to be. Exactly. Or you can't have strange things like WandaVision being nine episodes long or like six episode shows just going on um, with like, that's it, this is the miniseries, there's nothing else from it. I think that's, that's a really good benefit of everything that's happening. I think that's just like, that's why television is able to be what it is today just because it doesn't work with the same limitations and it reaches an audience as wide as movies would before Mm. so yeah it's fantastic the the way that the television um formula has evolved because like you were mentioning you know when it's on network television you're forced to sandwich in these commercials and you have this very specific or it has to be 20 minutes long or 40 minutes long that way we have the that leeway to to sandwich in these commercials and stuff but now with streaming because we've moved away from that formula now you can just get your 50 minute long you know or 30 minute long episode and just digest it all in one sitting and i think as a viewer that is so much more satisfying to just watch a story unfold like that but then again, it also leans back into what we were talking about just before the mics went live is that, you know, reality TV is obviously a huge thing as well. And the way that, you know, some of them still are able to draw an, or a huge audience, which still baffles me, um, such as like The Bachelor and, and Married at First Sight, those type of shows. But again, that is a product of the old system that relies on network television with you know you have your show but you still have to sandwich in your commercials and and all that so i think it's interesting how you know within this whole film industry landscape how we have so many different avenues for movies and television and the stories we can tell and uh, i think it's also the thing that i find most fascinating about the conversation between movies and tv is how movies typically are um, an hour and a half to three hours. That's normally your range that you're playing in. Most movies are about two hours, but you're playing in that sort of ballpark. But with television shows, you have this episodic timeline that you can play with, and you can play with six to nine hour-long episodes, which is like nine hours worth of content. So as a storyteller it allows you so much more flexibility with the way you develop the story, develop the characters, you know, expand on your mythology. And in that lens, like in that way, I think the landscape of television is so much more appealing to a lot more creators. Would you agree? Yeah, it was uh, uh, the series that I'm writing right now. Uh, my co-writer and I, um, over the past few weeks, we've been sort of trying to figure out the best model for the show like should we go half an hour episodes should we go hour long episodes um and how how many episodes do we need in this season and the good thing about it is that last night we sort of came to a realization that we don't need to put ourselves in these boxes because if we want this to go on streaming then it doesn't these limitations don't exist as much Mm -hmm. so the consensus we went with is these are the episodes we have right now and the ones we want We'll go with these, and if we want more later, we can just add more. Like, right now we have a 10-episode season, but if we have another idea that we think is important to the season, we can just throw it in there. Because I don't think uh, it 
it's not as conventional as 10 episodes, but we're in a position now where we can afford to pitch 11 episode seasons and see if that could work. And even regarding time, we stopped thinking about aiming for 30 or aiming for 60 minutes and instead just want to write it, see where it fits into, and if we need to adjust how long they are based on like other people's demands. Like the Mandalorian poster behind you, one of the things that I find fascinating about that show is that they don't really care. They just, they have half an hour episodes and then they have like 50 minute episodes. And like as much as I, especially the first season, have personal issues with the show, I think that is something that I really hope carries over to other um, to other shows and just the way that things are done because there's never an episode of The Mandalorian that I feel like overstays as welcome or isn't long enough. Um, so yeah, I, I find the flexibility of it really welcoming and really um, encouraging as a creator. Just like, you can just make what you want to make and just think about that instead of having to fit it into certain boxes. Exactly, yeah. Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer watching movies or do you prefer television? Uh, I'm a little bit old school. Um, coming back to The Mandalorian or Disney Plus in general, I one of my favorite things about it, um, even though, for the record, Disney. Um, but the, the best thing about it is they release episodes every week and it becomes an event every yes. time there's a show um and i like as much as i find most of their shows to be mediocre i'll still actively watch it because i know that a lot of my friends do and we can spend the week talking about it yeah um and this is uh like a problem i've had with netflix's model for a while it's just do you remember when stranger things season three came out mm-hmm. I, yes i absolutely do remember yeah yeah i watched it in one night and then there was talk about it for the next day and then that was it yeah it's done that is a hundred percent accurate because i did the same thing i binged all eight episodes or whatever it was in one sitting i watched it like an eight hour movie because i was really looking forward to it and yeah the chatter of the show and, and the gossip and, and all the conversation behind it just died out in like like a day or yeah. two days and, and all the social media dies out and like shows that are released all in one go that have that sort of binge structure have its purpose and I like it for certain types of shows but like you're getting onto it takes away from that event television and that sort of you know coming together and excitement and and, and speculating week after week of what's going to happen next yeah. I think that's why Disney Plus with their shows have been really really successful with regards to fan engagement is because their shows are releasing its episodes week to week and people are having to speculate and guess and try and figure out what's going to happen in the next episode and i think game of thrones was a great example of that that a show that kept people guessing constantly and it was week to week and you never knew what was going to happen next so and it it became an event every time there was a game of thrones season because everyone would talk about it the day it came out and then over the course of the week everyone would talk about what's happening next and like the way that netflix does it i kind of they have a show of the week every week and it becomes a big thing that week but then it just it's gone and no one really they all get lost in each other if that makes sense so like i kind of like the the model that disney plus have i like it as well keeping it 
focused on one thing so the conversation can be focused around it. And I, like, I agree. There's there's instances where that you probably shouldn't do that. Like, I think uh, when Netflix released the third season of Cobra Kai, perfect way to do it, just all at once. Uh, and that's the kind of show that you can just watch just in one go, and it works better that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for things like, like Stranger Things or... Um, damn, what else have Netflix made recently? All the Marvel shows and stuff like that. Yeah, things like that. Just release them weekly. People can take an hour out of their week, and they will put more time into it because they'll be engaged and interested. Mm. Um, but when it comes to movie, this is why I personally choose to watch movies more than I would TV, except when things like this come around. Uh, because I just find the... I can reserve three hours out of my time to watch it and then after watching with people I can just talk about it and digest it a lot more but when you're watching a 10 episode show just all at once it it becomes oversaturated and like the Stranger Things example the weird thing about all of those episodes were that they were they just it became a 10 hour movie because none of the episodes were distinct from any other one they were exactly just sort of, yeah and I, I don't really like that as a television model because I, f- I think one of the most interesting things as a creator about television is that you can tell so many stories within a larger story. But when you know that you're releasing it all at once and you, everyone's going to watch it at once, like you don't really have an incentive to make them individually distinct. It's just one large thing that blends into itself. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think ultimately it depends on the story you're trying to tell. And certain stories will be more inclined to have that sort of episodic one and done or a cliffhanger episode to episode where you're like, all right, now we need to guess what happens next. Let, I guess we'll just continue with the Stranger Things example because it's, it's a good one. Um, that's a show that I think I really actually enjoyed watching it all in one setting because each episode just blends into each other so, seamless, so seamlessly. And I really enjoyed it watching it like that. I know there's um, other shows um, on Netflix called Bodyguard, yeah. which is a um, show with Richard Madden, and it's like a um, a show that's set in the UK where um, Richard Madden is like a security guard that has to protect a politician. Anyway, it's fantastic. Highly recommend. It's one of the best shows that I've seen on Netflix. And that's again another similar example of like after each episode, you just want to like just flow straight into the next one. And that sort of seamless storytelling, um, it's best suited for that. So I think ultimately it depends on the type of storytelling that you're doing. Um, If you are going for that more movie-like, long-form story over six to eight episodes that is meant to be consumed like an eight-hour experience, then sure. But if you're um, creating a show where it's a bit more mystery-orientated or um, you want to make sure that each episode ends on a big controversial you know, plot point that you're like, all right, now fans need to digest this for a week and then they jump again and, and consume it. Um, I think it ultimately all depends on that. So yeah. I think yeah, that's probably the, the defining aspect that would distinguish um, the television market. Um, but I think with movies, it's obviously interesting, like, I guess to answer my own question, I, I I kind of am undecided. I kind of fall a little bit in the middle. Um, based off your answer, I'm, I'm guessing you fall more so towards enjoying movies, but you understand the appeal of television. Am I right in assuming that? Because uh, yeah. you, you didn't really answer my question. So I, I do 
enjoy watching television a lot, and I, I watch quite a bit of television, but if I was, to simplify your question for myself, if I sat down right now and someone asked me, would you like to watch this show or would you like to watch this movie, I'm far more inclined to choose the movie. Okay, yeah. I think, I, it, it honestly depends on the type of story ultimately, and I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but... Because, like, I think the appeal of um, movies versus television, um, especially nowadays with a lot of um, modern-day um, content that is produced, is that the line is becoming so much more blurred with regards to the quality of the content. You know, 15, 20 years ago, um, I think it would be fair to say that a lot more movies were of higher quality and that's obviously a result of them investing more money into um, those big movies and so I think it obviously depends on the story and and the type of show or movie it is Um, so yeah I'm slightly undecided but I would maybe lean towards movies as well Um, but on on the other thing that I would factor into my decision making is that um, you can't watch television in a cinema and I love the movie-going experience of sitting down in a theatre, the, the lights dim, you know, the big screen expands and you get that huge wave of sound and you're just absorbing that cinema experience. Like, nothing will ever beat that. Like, I just love that experience. So being able to watch movies like that, nothing will ever top yeah. that. Um, so in that respect, I probably would say I'd lean more towards movies just for that experience. But of the quality nowadays is just becoming like they're almost on par and and so this will jump into our next thing that we're going to talk about so let's try and chart out the timeline if you will with regards to how television got to this stage because i feel like breaking bad which came out in when did that start that was 2007 2009 2007 somewhere around that time frame that was the first show that i feel like became event television um obviously i didn't watch it when the show came out because obviously i was far too young but um i've obviously watched the show then and from what i've heard of people who have you know talked about it online and their experience of watching it when the show was coming out that was one of the first shows that week to week people were like we got to watch breaking bad like this is the new best thing and um i feel like breaking bad was the first big show i know it's i refer to it as like a cult show because it um, had a, a smaller audience when it was being broadcast and then since then the audience has grown exponentially because the, sh- the, the quality of the show is of the highest it's amazing obviously you, you've seen breaking bad right not yet you haven't seen breaking bad okay then well I'll, I'll refrain from spoilers but breaking bad was one of those shows that it really just drew you in as an audience and episode to episode just got better and better season to season just got better and better and then the the, the journey from season one, episode one to the finale was just amazing. And I feel like that was the first show that like brought in an audience week to week and was like, this is an event that people can get around. The next big example, I think, with regards to television was Game of Thrones, which started in 2011, I'm pretty sure. And that was a great example of a show that started off with a relatively medium-sized budget and then after it established that an audience is getting around this, they just launched so much more money into it. You can and you we, can see when you're watching where the money came in. Exactly. Like yeah. when, you, when you put on the first episode of season five, you're like, oh, 
okay. Wow. This is when it happened. Yeah. Okay. And it's you can see the evolution of the filmmaking as well because it starts off in season one, obviously, um, a lot more grounded. But then as we go on, it gets more action-orientated and there's more visual effects that are incorporated. And as we were mentioning before, Game of Thrones is one of those shows that it was just because obviously the way the story unfolded and you never really knew what was going to happen and, and characters could you know come in and out of the story in various capacities um it really um soaked up its audience and made them get encapsulated in the storytelling and as a result that just brought in a huge audience so that by the time we got to the eighth and final season the hype levels for that were so so high anyone that was a big fan of game of thrones during that time would would remember how hyped and excited we were regardless of what you think of the final season and its quality um i know that's a debate but we that we'll save for another time but the fact that coming into season eight everyone was so excited to see how the story concluded and again that's a consequence of a story that has had like nine years to tell itself if you know what I mean and the flip side of into the movie world of that would be the Marvel Cinematic Universe with regards to it started in 2008 with Iron Man and the movies almost adopted that television format in a way of telling this comic book story over multiple films and then bringing it together for a crossover crossover event where you can have the story culminate similar to television like you know you, you know all these storylines intersect for the season finale sort of thing so in that respect i feel like how television has taken a lot from movies and the movie industry with regards to the budget and the way it's filmed and the overall quality of it i also think um, movies have also taken a lot from television with regards to the way they structure themselves and the way they um you know tell their stories with character and I think that's really, really interesting to see how those how they've taken certain things from each other. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, I I th- I don't think that's uh, that's the best way to do it. With movies, you mean? With movies, because it, like it's felt not just with Marvel, and I like as much as I have issues with Marvel, I'll always like just put them aside because they they are exactly what they say they are, and they know what they're doing. It's mm. just they are serialized television just on the big screen but it's happening a lot with with a lot of other film a lot of other cinema and i don't really like it you mean like the interconnected storytelling you mean yeah the interconnected storytelling and just devaluing individual films because to me it's like why would you make this if it's not if i can't watch this and be wholly satisfied just watching this film then why would you make the film? Because mm. like with Marvel, it's like you that you expect this. This is that's what it is. But when you're watching, like I'm struggling to think of an example right now. But oh, fun! Classic. Oh, yeah. um, We're back. Yep. We just had a quick um, stoppage in our conversation because one of the posters decided to collapse. Anyway, continuing from where you left off. Uh, yeah, I was just saying, like, I I really wish that people didn't make movies to make more movies. Like, the, this isn't really the case ever. in most places. This is just, this is a Hollywood blockbuster problem. But it's, just, it's devaluing every movie by wanting to make movies to make more movies. 
And that's the sad reality of the Hollywood system because it is obviously a, a business and they're trying to make money. The way they do that is through this, you know, formulaic, you know, interconnected universe where they have this reliability of income, if that makes sense. And I feel like so many companies tried and failed at the interconnected universe. So you would think as a result that they would go back to just making one and done movies. But I feel like Hollywood is in a very weird situation. And I think you'll agree with this is that Hollywood now cares mainly about IP. If you have, you know, if it's the latest Marvel movie or it's the the new Star Wars movie or the latest Fast and Furious movie, it's all about IP. You know, 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case because it was all about the movie star. You know, or we're going to go see the new Tom Cruise movie or we're going to go see the new Keanu Reeves movie. You know, it was always like you had this sort of appeal to go see a movie star. And I feel nowadays that has almost that idea of like, all right, let's go see that you know, this movie star, yeah. instead we're going to go see this new, you know, IP that is owned by a certain company. And I feel like nowadays the only real person or the only real people that have that sort of movie star quality are Tom Cruise still and Dwayne Johnson. You know, he's had a few movies come out where, oh, let's go see this new The Rock movie. Yeah. Um, whether that be Skyscraper or, you know, um, what was the one with the boxing that he did? Um, or the MMA, I think it was. Anyway, regardless, he, he's had a couple movies that have been like, all right, let's go see the new Dwayne Johnson movie. Um, but yeah, even like nowadays with um, like Mission Impossible, like even though that's got Tom Cruise in it, I would still categorize that as an IP movie because yeah. that is a franchise that has been longstanding since, you know, 99 or whenever the first one came. 96, I think. 96, yeah. So even in that respect, it's not really a Tom a Tom Cruise movie. Um, so I feel like it's interesting to see how this landscape of, um, of what draws in an audience. Um, it used to be a specific person that drew in an audience. Now it's a specific type of story and content that draws in an audience. And I don't know if that will remain the same moving into the future do you think it'll stay that way or do you think there'll be something new that comes along how do you think audiences are going to remain engaged um in the film industry i mean the way that it's looking right now it's that the only things making money are things with established ips Mm -hmm. and that that is a sad reality but that like if forget last year but the year before that um if you looked at the uh 10 highest grossing movies um uh, of the year, I'm pretty sure all of them were sequels of some kind. Or yeah, yeah, uh, D- uh, sequels or, or reboots or, or yeah. yeah. Um, well, it, 2019 was the year of cinema, and the year yeah. of cinema was dominated by Disney because yeah. you had you know obviously all the big Marvel films, um, you had the Disney live action remakes in The Lion King and Aladdin, and 2019 was a great year for movies, but. When you look at the box office, like you just said, they were all related to something that had come before. Yeah. So, yeah. But I do think, uh, looking at the same year, I think there that audiences still are looking for something different because Parasite became such an explosion that year that, like, a Korean film was b- being shown here for over a year the only thing that stopped parasite being shown in theaters here was a global pandemic yep um obviously that's like a 
that's a rare example. But I think the fact that it became such a phenomenon is an indication that people are always looking for something different. The only issue I feel is that when if you're if you're just a general moviegoer and you're given a choice between seeing a film that you don't really know anything about or a film that's related to like 20 previous films so you at least know what to expect and there'll be some sort you'll have more of a guarantee that you'll enjoy it you're probably going to see that one because you know you have limited money to watch one of the films you have limited time just go watch that one um everyone audiences are looking for familiarity yeah Mm. but i do think that the the popularity of streaming can change this and it has been changing it like one thing that i do respect about netflix as much as a lot of their original movies are completely forgettable sometimes there's a roma or there's a marriage story or like an irishman that make it through and that reach a much wider audience than they would previously yeah if they were just theatrically released Mm. so yeah it's interesting to see how it goes moving forward obviously i think most um huge studios in hollywood are more inclined to just put hedge their bets on established ip and just continuing to make things that already exist but audiences speak with their money so if they if they want to see more interesting things then i'm sure we will see them Mm. well that's that's the nail on the head right there is everyone votes with their wallets and you know like i'm in that sort of mindset as well of like yes there's so much great content that's coming out that is you know sequel related or or, you know these disney live action remakes that i'm obviously interested to go see but it's one of those things the at the end of the day you know these investors and these studios want to see a return on their investment and no company or no government wants to invest money in a product that does not have a guaranteed return on investment because that's just not smart business. And the sad reality is the consequence of that is that you know original content and original ideas and ideas that are just sparked from some screenwriter or you know some person with a with a with a dream that they want to translate to screen. You know that unless that person has a reputation and, and there's a sort of trust that can be instilled in them, you don't get that sort of trust in order to get that product to the screen because movie making and television especially is just, it's so expensive. Yeah. That's why these big blockbusters cost hundreds of millions of dollars because you've got, you know, obviously all these actors that sometimes cost a lot of money. You've got all the crew you have to pay for and then locations on top of that and then the actual production of it as well. And that's not including all the VFX work and filmmaking is very expensive and it's fucking hard. And it really requires an army of people to come together all working towards the same goal to get it done. And that's why I get really excited when I watch a really cool and badass movie because it's like, wow, this crew of people really came together and brought something really entertaining to the screen and you know it's funny when you watch you know stuff on the big screen where you can see like wow that was really worth my money yeah and with television or i should say with streaming um this idea of like you just pay a subscription right 
and you're not necessarily paying for the individual content you're paying for a a, a collaboration a conglomeration of content so when you watch like a movie on netflix that's forgettable or you know you watch some amazon piece of crap you know you're just like oh oh well you know that wasn't that wasn't entertaining but you don't really think about it like i am paying for this individual piece of content and that was money well worth spent you know you know what i mean yeah so i feel like that's um, one of the psychological factors that I feel like is dividing this idea of streaming services and then the theatre experience because obviously theatres have been struggling um, even before COVID, um, even more so now since um, the pandemic has started. So hopefully we can get back to a stage where um, audiences are comfortable going out and actually paying their hard-earned money to go see yeah. a movie on the big screen. Yeah. And I do think it's also worth saying that, like... Um, this is just this is just Hollywood and big budget Hollywood but as an audience if you are looking for different things to watch it's it's all there like here in Brisbane and just in Brisbane you can like Goma always has some sort of unique showcase of world cinema uh, Palace usually has some sort of international film festival running where they showcase cinema from different parts of the world um, there's like small film festivals that come in here and there and Stan has a great library of like hard to find content that you wouldn't expect to find on there and things and there's like services like Canopy so I think it's just the the easy accessibility of mainstream streaming services which is great it's great how accessible it is it's sort of the ease of the convenience of it makes it just like oh there's all this content here we'll just look for content here Mm. but i think it is worth if audiences themselves can seek out things that they will enjoy a lot more or things that will make them see that there's a wider world of cinema because i think like the thing that could make hollywood change the way that it approaches filmmaking right now the most is if people just stop giving them money and stop paying mm. to see mediocre things because there's so much out there that is unique that's distinct that's original um so yeah i think the big problem is is that even though there's so much original content being made is that there's no marketing behind it like yeah. you just listed so many great things like you know these like niche um cinema experiences or, or, or these streaming services that have all these like um great original content that's hard to find at the end of the day, everything that is in the consensus of people's minds is the stuff that you see marketed on television, that yeah. you see the social media ads, and that's the big blockbuster stuff. And yeah. I understand that, obviously, because they're investing more money into the marketing, and obviously that's going to reach more people's you know thought processes. But that's the problem is that you are not able to find all this great original stuff because it's buried yeah. underneath all this, you know, Hollywood machinery. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the tricky thing is just finding an audience when there is so much content out there. It's almost like, if you'll bear with me with this analogy, it's almost like you're diving into the ocean and within the ocean there's heaps of fish, but finding the right fish for you to eat might be troublesome. You know what I mean? But the ocean is so huge. Like you could go into this quadrant of the ocean or you can go into that quadrant and certain quadrants might have more fish or like there might be better fish in this quadrant, but there might be less of it. Like 
dri- when you drive into the ocean, you know, transferring this analogy of into movies and television, when you dive into all this content, because there's so much of it out there, it's sometimes hard to find the good stuff. Yeah. And that's why I, f- I find value in... Um, you know, obviously people on the internet who, you know, review content and, and make those videos out there and stuff like Rotten Tomatoes and, and, and Metacritic, Metacritic, Metacritic and stuff like that because, you know, people don't uh, need some sort of um, uh, heads up going into the experience of like, is this worth my time? Yeah. And uh, like I've always found that conversation interesting of like um, how some people are very cynical against um, critics and stuff of like, oh, all you do is just talk about your opinions on this certain thing and you're always so cynical and, and, and look down upon it from like, you know what I mean? Like a very pretentious sort of thing. Um, and obviously there are those certain people out there, but I feel like if you can communicate, if you can go out and see some content and then able, and then are able to communicate it to an audience and say, Hey, this is worth your time or it's not worth your time. Then I think that's helpful for society because yeah. some people work five days a week, you know, 10, 11, 12 hour shifts. Yeah. They don't have time to like look into this stuff and you know they want to know that when they get home from a long day at work and they just want to turn on the telly and, and watch some Netflix or they you know think all right I'm going to go out with my partner tonight or go out with my kids and I'm going to go see this product or, or movie or whatever they want to know that they're getting you know yeah. their money's worth yeah and um, to build on this I guess with regards to movie trailers and, and stuff like that how so many movies now in their trailers they market their film by basically telling you the entire story in the trailer. And it's like, you're just spoiling the whole movie. And I've always never understood it and I've always criticized it whenever I've seen a trailer that's been like, well, now I don't need to see the movie. But what I found really interesting is I was reading an article that explains the reason that these companies do this is in order to uh, promote their film to an audience by showing them all the key plot points they the audience will then be more inclined to go see the movie like i'm saying like speaking averages wise like the the average the the average of people who see trailers want to know the majority of the story going in that way they're like all right this is worth my time and i'm going to go see that and the idea behind that is obviously weird because it's like why do you want to know everything like why do you want to know all the spoilers going in but then there is so many people out there, not only with movies and shows, but with books and, and all that type of content that like want to know spoilers going into it. Like I've heard of people that um, who read, but they go to the last page and read the last page of a book and yeah. then they go through and read. It's like, but you know how it ends. So like, why do you want to like, like spoil the journey and the emotional like ups and downs you go on through that journey? And even with Game of Thrones, obviously, like I heard so many people say, like, "Oh, I just just tell me what happens," because I don't want to like be freaking out as I'm watching it. But I'm like, but that's the whole point. You're supposed to watch it, enjoy it, and, and consume the content in a way that like affects you emotionally. So like when trailers do that, I've never understood why. But after all this research and stuff, it's like okay, I can understand the reasoning behind it. But it's like I still don't obviously agree, and I still don't like it. But it all just comes down to marketing you know at the end of the day you can have this great concept and this great show or this great movie an example is actually Better Call Saul which is the prequel series to Breaking Bad which follows um, Saul Goodman who um, is a lawyer in Breaking Bad and the show follows him and I um, had for the longest time I heard Better Call Saul was an amazing show Um, it was like really awesome like you definitely need to get into it and it was on my list of things to watch and uh, just recently, I, I binge watched it through, and I, I got through all five seasons. Really, really enjoyed it. Really loved it. 
But again, Better Call Saul is a show that is fantastic, but like the marketing isn't behind it. Like it's not in the 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 consensus of what people are thinking about. You know, everyone thinks about the new Marvel show that's about to come out, or you know, the new like Stranger Things season four or, or whatever. Like that has these big marketing campaigns behind it. So at the end of the day, I feel like we're in this like sort of catch-22 of yes you can make great content but if you don't have the right marketing campaign behind it it's not going to get seen by any by anyone which then means no one is going to pay for your content which means more original content isn't made so can you see like the flow-on effect of what i'm trying to get out here it's a it's a really sticky situation and a real spider's web that you have to try and find your way through so yeah yeah thoughts um, it's just the unfortunate reality that yeah. we live in. And, yeah. uh, that I don't really think... Like, what I said earlier um, is definitely from the perspective of, like, someone like you or me, just a snob who's like, oh, I will seek out what I want to watch. But, like, the real the real way that anything could actually change is just that the I think the the models in which cinema and TV is made is lends itself to things like this like I think it's just things need to change from the ground up because people need to realize that the value in cinema obviously is in money but is also in the fact that it's art Mm. and it it needs to be treated like that not just as an investment but that is a uh, that's a ground up restructure of the entire global cinema industry so Mm. That's a bit optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 funny because like when you have this idea that you know would be really cool to see and you're trying to get it through that pitching phase and then you're going to all these different people. Like the best example that I know of is Jojo Rabbit. So Taika Waititi, who wrote and directed that movie, he had that in development for like over a decade. I think it was like 12 years and he had this idea and because I think it was based off a book as well. And he was like going to different studios and, and trying to pitch it and, and say, hey, this is a really cool story. And, you know, studios are like, what, a comedic movie about Nazis? No thanks. And I can understand that. But like, you know, like when you know there's a great idea, it's like, oh, this, this is going to be so amazing. I know it could work. But when you can't get the investors yeah. and the money behind it, it's like, oh. And then obviously Taika Waititi after he had that sort of, you know, he, he built a reputation for himself with Thor Ragnarok and, and Hunt for the Wilder People and and um, and Boy was the other Boy, one as well, yeah. yeah. Um, once he sort of got a reputation behind him, he was able to then go ahead and, and make Jojo Rabbit, which then ended up winning the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, I believe. Yeah. So that's a, that's a rare example. Just think about how many other stories are like that of, yeah. you know, trying to get between different studios or, or government agencies and and just like you know trying to get out there but they just can't so that's the tricky thing i feel like is just making your name and then being able to just say all right now you can trust me in order to get this original concept out there and i think christopher nolan is the best example of that of you know christopher nolan is so proficient at what he does and people will be like all right it's a new christopher nolan movie it's an original concept i'm gonna go see it because i know christopher nolan makes cool shit so i think he and even quentin tarantino um are like some of the few filmmakers out there that can have that sort of um star power if you will yeah in order to draw in an audience even though they're making original content but um quentin tarantino is in a weird 
spot right now. Is he still making another movie or cuz I think he was retiring oh, after I, his ninth uh, film or something. Uh, Do you know? He, he's been he's kept saying that he's going to make 10 films and that's it. Um, yeah. I think I read somewhere recently that he's thinking about retiring, but I if I had to uh if I had to guess, I'm I'm guessing he will make his 10th film okay. at least and I don't think he'll stop after that, mm. but Maybe he will. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's one of those rare filmmakers of like, you know, when you go to see a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know you're in for a ride because you are seeing a Quentin Tarantino movie. So, again, that's just one of those funny things of like once you find an audience, it just opens up so many more doors for you. And uh, that's one of the funny things about the film industry is, you know, once you know the right people and have the right connections, it just makes things a lot, lot easier for you. So, yeah. Um, but with regards to this idea of um, movies and television, um, what do you think? Obviously, television has been on this exponential rise the last couple of years, especially since streaming started. What do you think the future holds for the movie making industry and the television making industry? And where do you think, like, do you think there'll be a ceiling that they hit eventually? Or, like, how do you think the future is going to um, unfold um, for these two respective formats? Um, I think. I think at some point, um, people will grow too tired of just, oh, the only things are new Marvel and the only things are new Star Wars, because I think it's just oversaturated. And I think you can already see that right now, because there's always, like, there, there are examples of films that become phenomenons, even though they're, like, they're not associated with any IP. Like, when Knives Out came out, it made a lot of money, but even on top of that, uh, Netflix just paid $450 million for the sequels. Um, and that was the same year that things like Uncut Gems came out and uh, things like Parasite. And I think it's worth noting things like that because clearly audiences like things that are different, even though still most of the content that's consumed is like established IPs. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's one of the good things about having, uh, streaming services be so prevalent is that, um, not just for TV in that it's, there's a wide audience worldwide for any show that's put on Netflix. Um, but also because Netflix are investing in things like Knives Out and investing in like Quran films and <laughs> Scorsese films, um, that, there's there's probably a future in which there's still a world with creative license mm. I think the television industry I think is just going to get bigger and better I think when audiences continue to show up for all these big shows I think it's just going to give these companies more license to just put more and more money into um, their content because I think Marvel's another good example of jumping on after the the way the huge wave um, that Game of Thrones left, um, showcasing that when you put money into a big show and a big a big event show, that you know it just gains the extra level of respect. And I think the Marvel shows have proved that with regards to you know putting way more money into their shows so that. You know, it's almost movie level quality. Like, you know, you look at WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and to me, I, I don't see a clear, distinct difference between yeah. the movies that they've made and those two shows. And 
I think we're just going to get more and more stuff like that. Not even necessarily um, IP-related content that's within the same universe or whatnot. I just think television will become so good and high quality with regards to the actual filmmaking of it that it'll be indistinguishable from television. Uh, it'll be indistinguishable from television and movies. And that idea of like that network television sort of format where it's like, you know, you use a specific type of camera and you know, you, a certain aspect ratio and you have all these limitations. I feel like that's all going to die out and we're just going to get more and more cinematic content that is made for the small screen. And the movie landscape, th- what I predict will happen, which is a sad thing, like I, I obviously don't want it to be this way, but I think this is the most likely thing is I think we're going to get less and less original content made for the big screen and we're just going to get more and more IP related content just because I think that's where the money is you know people go to see the new latest and greatest Marvel movie or you know they want to go see the new Mission Impossible movie or you know all oh, the new Fast and Furious movie hell yeah I'll go see that I'm definitely seeing that so, this week exactly it's it's one of those things like you know a, a, another example recent example was you know Godzilla vs. Kong that's another big event movie you know people want to go see stuff like that on the big screen so I think we're going to see more of that made specifically for that sort of environment and we'll get more niche original content made for the small screen so we'll get cool movies and and oscar type movies you know like the marriage story and the irishman made for the small screen i obviously don't prefer it i don't want it to be like that i would love to see these cool independent stuff for the big screen but the reality is when there isn't that guaranteed return on investment it's not going to make it into the big screen because that obviously costs money and the marketing for that is obviously very expensive. So, yeah. To kind of wrap up this conversation, I am going to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm going to ask you your favourite movie and favourite television show. So, do you have... I know it's the most cliche question that you get asked at film school. What's your favourite movie? But, Mihir, do you actually have one? I I did not... Uh, when we were when we started at university, um, obviously everyone asked that in the first week, and I didn't have an answer. So what I did was, over the course of uh, a year, I actually set out to figure out what my favorite film was. Oh, okay. So what I did was I shortlisted uh, ten, and uh, I every I watched one a month, and then at the end of the year. Um, and as I was doing it, I sort of analyzed why I like each of them, why I love each of them, and then at the end of it, I like narrowed it down and figured out what my favorite film was. Um, this might not be the case anymore, but at like my answer confidently is Sing Street. Uh, okay. Uh, which I, I guess scientifically figured out was my favorite film, uh, but that was two years ago what's that about because i've heard about that movie but uh, i haven't seen it so it's an irish film uh it's about a a uh high school boy who starts a band to impress a girl he likes ah okay um, it's really good it's really sweet uh the music's really good and uh i think in terms of writing it does a it does a really interesting thing in there which i won't tell you but it's it's really cool um okay i'll have to add that to the list yeah sing straight uh, okay cool yeah uh that is my favorite film uh might it might not be anymore because i've watched so many other films as of right now as of you right can now, confidently say it's it. your favorite movie um i don't have a favorite show but uh i can tell you some of them okay um seinfeld uh 
Game of Thrones. Um, what else? Cobra Kai is a recent favorite show of mine. Um, These are all the, very respectable choices. The first three seasons of Narcos, because I haven't seen the fourth one. I've seen the first two seasons. The first two seasons were amazing. Yeah. I, I, I lost interest in the third season just because I... The story wasn't yeah, really interesting to me, but yeah. Narcos was really, really good. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, what else? I'm struggling to think of them right now, but well, the ones you've listed, I'll, have I'll go with really those good. for now. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I had to answer my own question, I would say my favorite movie. I always used to just say The Dark Knight was my favorite movie because I, I love it and, and I think it's one of the best movies that's ever been made, but. I saw a movie a couple... What was it? Last year, maybe. 1917. Oh, yeah. The war film. That movie... I don't think I've ever seen a better movie than that. And I know some people don't like it. To those people, I, I always just get puzzled by it. But to me, the technical proficiency that was on display was so incredible. And the story behind it was so simple, but so effective. And the journey you go on through this film that's all designed to be, you know, watched in one take, where you're following these two soldiers, you know, tr- you know, basically a race against the clock to, you know, pass on information. An absolutely amazing movie, one of the best movies I've ever seen, and I would probably say that, and The Dark Knight, probably maybe my one and two. I have so many movies that I love. Obviously, Avengers Endgame up there, that's probably one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. Um, Toy Story, obviously, I love as well, because... Um, I have a deep emotional connection to Toy Story ever since I was a child. Um, but with regards to television, I have a very clear and easy answer, and I know you haven't seen it because you said earlier, but Breaking Bad... I will watch it this de- You have to yeah. def- definitely check it out. I confidently say it is objectively the best television show ever made. And I know art is subjective, and everyone likes their own thing, but, like, I don't know, I just... You look at the, that how that show progresses over time and the character evolution and the storytelling. Like, every episode is great. Like, a lot of TV shows have, like, that are great, have one or two episodes that are not that good. Or, you know, they have a season that's like, yeah, not that season's not too great. But Breaking Bad is consistently great and it gets better and better. Like, it starts out, like, at an 8 out of 10 and then it just, like, remains at, like, that solid 8, 9 all the way through and then it ends on a 10 out of 10 so if you haven't seen Breaking Bad which I know is a pretty old show but like if you haven't definitely check it out it's fantastic and then uh, yeah I'm going to be checking out Sing Street because that's Mahir's favourite movie as of right now and I haven't seen it so for those who also haven't seen it maybe check that out as well because it sounds interesting so um, would recommend mm. Mahir thank you very much for coming on the podcast and, and discussing this idea of movies and television with me I, I've really really enjoyed it so it thanks for coming a, on it was a real pleasure thank you for having me thanks everyone for watching or listening wherever you are around the world and uh, make sure you are subscribed and uh, following the podcast link and uh, I will see you in another time